It is rare that we here at Downloadable Content get any sort of comments, so when we do, it's a nice treat. And very good to know that at least one person out there on the wide world of the internet is actually listening. It's even better when someone sends a request for an episode. So to honor that request, this episode will be devoted to some of the people behind indie game developer Kassarth Studios. Now with the first two games out on Steam, we'll take a closer look at Chronicles of a Dark Lord, how Kassarth came to be, and what their plans are heading into the future. And so to YouTube user GamerEternal777, this episode is for you, so hope you listen in. Kassarth Studios, next on Downloadable Content. and welcome to Downloadable Content. I'm Brian, and with me we have Ron. Hey, everyone. We have Tanya. Hello. And we welcome two newcomers to Downloadable Content. We have John. Hello. And we have Ryan. Hello. Welcome, one and all, and thank you guys from Kisarth for coming on to do this episode, uh, our fan request episode. This is actually only the second time we've ever done a fan request episode, so it just goes to show you that in the five years we've been doing downloadable content, two people have suggested ideas for episodes. So, this episode is devoted, as I mentioned in the intro, entirely to Kisarth Studios. So, to the YouTube user, GamerEternal777, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope uh, all of your questions get answered. So, before we get started, let me just do the usual plugs. All episodes of downloadable content can be found on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, and you could get a hold of us in a variety of ways. You can go up to facebook.com slash dlcontent, find us on Twitter at dlcontent, on Tumblr, dlcpodcast.tumblr.com, and of course, you can always email us at dlcontent1 at gmail.com. So there you go. All of the different ways to get downloadable content into your ears. Just be sure you use enough Q-tips. And so with that said, before I dive into some of the questions I have prepared, um, why don't you guys go about introducing yourselves and just give a little description about what you do? So, uh, Tanya, we'll start with you. Well, hello. I've actually been on uh, DLC before, so I'm kind of an old pro at this, quote-unquote. Um, <laughs> but no, um, my name is Tanya Vitello. I am the CEO of Kassar Studios. Hi, I'm John Sierra. I'm president of Kazara Studios. Hello, I'm Ryan Hallisey. I am assistant programmer and a 3D asset creator at Kazara Studios. Excellent. And for full disclosure out there, even though I've mentioned it before on the internet and on previous episodes of Downloadable Content, I do beta testing 
for Kisarth. I've beta tested some of their games already, and I've had a blast doing so, and will continue to do so. So, but you already knew that. So, Ryan's in our dev room. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. That's a that's a bit of a drive. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, in the games, you're in the dev room in the games. Oh, in the games, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I'm very. It's like one of the things off, you know, a, a gamer's bucket list. Apparently, it's a check mark. You know, actually be an NPC. All right. <laughs> so. So with that, I'm going to dive into some of the questions I've got written up for all of y'all. So uh, the first one, the basic one, how did Kassarath happen? How did it come to be? That's a Tanya question. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's, that's a me question. Um, actually, it started a long, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 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 no, but... It, Seriously, it, it, it started actually as um, online role play um, on, on, under AOL back in the old days, and it was all text based. 56k and, modems and dial up noises. Oh, yeah, 56k modems, baby. Uh, oh. But uh, all you heard is going online. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Brian could pull the sound clip for the kids <laughs> who don't know right? they're talking about. They still have that today. They call yeah, it they do. Stuff. Yeah, they do. Um, so basically how it started was, you know, uh, like I said, it started actually started about two decades ago. Um, I was, you know, I, I had just gotten into uh, AOL online roleplay text-based, and I was going into chats, and I was, you know, bringing my character, who was Magus Draken Lee, into these chats and killing everybody in sight. <laughs> because he's a dark lord. And I didn't think much of it at the time, but over the course of literally 20 years of, of, of role play, um, it, he morphed from being this just, you know, one-dimensional character into a multifaceted, really in-depth character with a ton of story and background behind him. Um, you know, it, 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 he became the consummate, you know, character where he evolved you know, completely. You know, from where from where he used to be. Um, you know, I've had I've had him for a long, long time, and of course, now that he's in the games, I have him for the rest of the rest of it, the rest of time. He's going to be there. He's going to be out there. Um, the stories themselves, actually, especially the ones in the games, are based on what was done on the uh, on the RP. So, you know, this so we grab a lot of the basis the stories in the games from the RP, but you don't nearly, you don't actually see, like, you know, event for event happen in the games the way it happened in the RP, for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, at some points we had, you know, three, four hundred people involved in some of these storylines, and yeah, it was just way, it was just a lot to get into. Um, as for Kassarth itself, the company, well, um, once I had retired, quote-unquote retired from AOLRP, um, I didn't want the stories that we told to be lost in the flotsam of, of the internet, especially the old internet, as it's now called. So I didn't want all that story to go to waste. I didn't want the character of Magus Lee to go to waste. I, 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 he needed to, to live in a different medium. 
because um, everything was winding down, especially after all that time. You know, the chats weren't nearly as frequent, and Facebook was coming out. MySpace at that point was coming out and everything. And it's just, you know, the, the AOL chats were becoming obsolete, or even, you know, by the time 2005 hit, they were obsolete. But um, anyway, so, you know, uh, basically I said to myself, I got to... I gotta figure out some way to do this, so I thought, why not do the video game? Why not do a video game on it? Um, you know, I chose that medium because it's both. I mean, I could have done a novel, and that would have been one thing. But I figure I'm not really a novel type writer. Um, writing a video game is is a different animal than writing a novel. And um, you know, I haven't been a huge fan of of classic RPGs in the past. I figure, why not? So I took a stab at it. I, I got an EIN number for Kassara Studios and then I went, Alright, um, you know, let's 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 get let's get the company registered and let's do this. You know, I called it Kassara Studios after the Kassara Empire, which was, you know, again on AOL RP, it was it was part of that story for what, fifteen years, something like that. Um so yeah, you know, uh, and that's how basically how the company began. It began as an as an as a as a rebirth of of the AOL RP just in a different medium. Um, and the first the first draft of the game that came out was atrocious. <laughs> I'll be honest, it was atrocious, especially by the standards we set we have now. It, it was atrocious, um, but it was. It had some good merits to it, which I think, you know, propelled the company going forward. I started bringing on more people, um, especially people who do art, because especially at that point, I had no clue about art. So, you know, um, lo and behold, as I started bringing more and more people on uh, to do different aspects of game development, um, you know, it, it just, the, the company started really starting to, you know, gain ground and gain traction and uh, you know as we as we added to the game and as we you know uh, enhanced it and come up with an enhanced edition that type of thing for the first game uh, you know especially when we brought on John who I'm kind of segueing into that when we brought on John 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 you know uh, when we brought on him you know I was like well come on board you can do art because uh, I like what he did for us, and uh, yeah, you know, he 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 became our consummate artist uh, at that point in time. And uh, I mean, uh, graphics are always going to be in his blood, no matter what position he's in. It's just how it's going to be. But uh, yeah, it's it, it really did. More, I mean, like the transition from you know from hobby to actual game developer. You know, it was, it was quite a transition, it, it, and I lost, and I'll be, and, and again, it's not all, you know, a cup of tea or anything like that, it's not all peaches and cream, it's, it, I lost friends, uh, I've had team members who've lost friends, you know, um, because I took my craft seriously, I didn't think of it as a hobby, and I wanted to do this for my career, for my life. And I, and I didn't go to college for this either. I didn't go to college for game design. You know, uh, I didn't have what you would consider credentials for game design. But, you know, I mean, I knew the business aspect of things because that's what I was trained in. But I didn't know 
actual game design until I got into it. I didn't know even know Ruby coding until I had it in front of me and I started really learning it. So that's pretty much how it all came about. I mean, you know, it started with me and went from there. Now, John, were you part of this, uh, the initial AOL role-playing group? So. Oh, no, no, uh, not at all. Uh, I was actually contacted by Tanya over YouTube uh, because I was doing the Let's Plays and the request videos and stuff like that. And she was trying to reach out to people on YouTube because free publicity, you know. So I got this uh, this long note from Tanya about how she liked my videos and here's a free copy of the game and blah, 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 blip, blip, blip. And I was in a hurry and I kind of filed it away somewhere and then I misplaced it and came across it like something like three months later. And then I contacted her and lo and behold, uh, she was still around. So I downloaded the game and I did a video on it and, uh, and then I get this email from Tanya later on that uh, we enjoyed it, you know, even though I did make fun of the game for the most part, because that's what I did on YouTube. And uh, I found it interesting, even though, like, yeah, the first version of Episode 1 wasn't all that well put together. It was also rather impressive when you consider it was basically just Tanya working on it. I mean, she had James there as an editor and Richie as a mapper, but there, there weren't really that many people involved in it. So... I found the story interesting, though. That's That was the main thing, is that I was attracted to the way that the game took all these tropes that we know and subverted them and was very aware of them. So as I played through it, I remained in contact with Tanya and whatnot, and I remember that I reported a few bugs, and uh, I was looking into them because... I wanted to see exactly how legitimate is this company, and I I was googling and I and I went around and I found out that they had a, they sold physical copies of the game, which we don't actually do that anymore because it's it costs too much, but back then it was a thing you could get. I think it was for like ten dollars. You can get a, a physical copy of the first game, and I saw the the box that they were sending it. The artwork on the box was ri ridiculous. It was uh. It, it, it was like 15 different fonts and really low resolution and, you know, poor choice of colors. and So I, most most websites of the 90s then? Talking like, uh, Brian, to be honest with you, like, like 1995 websites. Okay? <laughs> so like, your Netscape 3s of the world. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like right around when, when, when websites first started to have images, you know. Like, like I'm looking for, like, the uh, glowy matrix skull that spins around, you know? So anyway, I, uh, I thought to myself, I could do better than that, and I, I'm not even an artist. So I had Photoshop, which I had honestly gotten just to just make, like, cat memes, you know? And uh, I said, you know, I have this expensive program. Why not use it for something? And I wound up, as a, as a joke, purely as a lark, making this cover art for them and I posted it on their Facebook page and uh, I got these replies you know and Tanya contacted me saying they actually wanted to use it which was somewhat of a surprise because I didn't even think it was uh, you know like that good but you know it wound up getting remade and remade and remade and whatnot and uh, then I got invited to one of the conferences and I started making comments on 
the business aspect on it. And that's that's how I kind of came into it. And the rest is history. Ryan, what about you? How'd you w- wind up working for Kasarth? Um, by actually coincidence, um, Tanya happened to run into a friend of mine at Rite Aid, and somehow they got into a conversation about how Tanya was looking for programmers, and my friend knew that I did programming. She didn't know exactly what I did for programming, but she knew that I did it. And so she came to me and told me about the interaction and offered to get me the number as soon as she could. And I think she spent about three weeks forgetting to give me the number, and eventually she gave it to me, and I contacted Tanya, and I just jumped at the chance to join a game studio because I've been looking forward to that. I've been looking forward to that for a while beforehand because that's what I had planned to do for the rest of my life since my like sophomore year in high school. Cool. Excellent. And I, I was introduced to you guys by way of Cat. Yeah. Yes. By way by way of cat. She was uh you know talking yeah, to me about meow. what? Meow meow meow. Meow meow. Um talking about this really cool game called Chronicles of a Dark Lord Episode One, which was done in the style of you know Super Nintendo, you know, JRPG, you know, sort of in you know Final Fantasy four four or six ish. And I'm like, well I'm intrigued. I love those types of games. And she sent me uh, a copy of the first game. And I, I played it. And the, the English grammar pedant in me was screaming. But I enjoyed the game immensely. And it was actually uh, Tanya. Um, her first episode of downloadable content was the episode in which we talked about uh, LGBT gamers. And that w- that was my introduction to Tanya, and from there, uh, I was asked to beta test the Nightmare Edition of Episode 1. And then I became an official beta tester. <laughs> and since then, um, it's been fun. <laughs> been a lot of fun. Yeah, the, uh, the the DLC portion, uh, what you what you just referred to, the Nightmare Vision DLC portion for Episode One, that was that was not written by me. Everybody, that was written by John, actually. Um, true, yeah. You know, uh, and uh, actually, and and just as a little a little aside here, um, you know, I'm really I'm really glad that that John was able to get his writing out there because it's been received quite positively by pretty much everybody that plays through that portion of the game. And that's why, of course, I'm giving more and more uh, writing tasks to John for future games, which we will undoubtedly go over in this podcast. But yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely, it was definitely a springboard for me to see how John's writing actually is in the game. And he fits the mold. Perfectly, he he really is a, a tremendous game writer. Um, I'd actually say, and I and I and I mean this too, that um, some people love my writing, and some people say it's it's, it's good. Tanya, me, I, I always say I surround myself with people who are better at their jobs than I am, so, and and people who are smarter than me. So, you know, John, is, is, I think is a better writer than I am personally. Um, I've grown 
home by leaps and bounds, of course, but I think John's a better writer it just as, as what that is. Um, I, I, and and speaking, that's why I can't Speaking as the person who Tanya is talking up, I want to say that I am a fan of Tanya's writing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. But... But no, I for me, I'm a fan, I'm a big fan of John's of John's writing. I'm also a fan, actually, of uh, of April's writing, which we'll get into in a little bit, I think. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of April. The, the podcast is young. Yes, <laughs> the podcast is young. So, well, cool. Um, I will move on then. So. What made you decide, and again, any one of you can jump in, what made you decide the design choice for Chronicles of a Dark Lord? Why, why did you ultimately decide on that sort of 16-bit Super Nintendo design? I mean, obviously, we're in an age, we're in an age now of indie games really taking advantage of the retro revival, as it's been called. So what ultimately made you guys decide on that era of game? I think I can answer that pretty succinctly, Ryan. Um, Especially for people who are uh, our age, me and Tiny, we grew up playing these games, and we have a lot of fond memories. And the thing is, there was never really an evolution of the JRPG. Um, There are modern JRPGs, but they become very divisive um, look at games like the recent Final Fantasies and how they've changed from the formula so drastically that they become revolutionary instead of evolutionary. And Episode 1, in our way, was our tribute to those games that we played growing up. Uh, you've noticed it's a lot like Final Fantasy IV. There's, oh, other, yes. games, there's other games in there. There's, there's Lufia, there's Lunar, there's Breath of Fire, there's Fantasy Star. Um, but it is definitely our tribute to those games and then episode two is saying what if we took that aesthetic and evolved it and instead of worrying about how to keep up with the technology because that was the problem when everything went 3d everybody had to say we got to keep up with the technology we got to have a bullet point of features and they didn't necessarily stay true to the genre so what you're going to see in the series as it goes on is that it's always going to remain rooted in that era, but it's going to basically say, like, what if that era, the 90s, was not just a period of 10 years? What if it kept going and uh, evolved naturally rather than, you know, that shock to the system of going from Final Fantasy VI to Final Fantasy VII, which seemed great at the time, but now you look at it and it's basically Lego Final Fantasy with a really bad (laughs) translation. So... You know, like episode two was our way of saying, yeah, we, we have these aspects of like Dragon Quest four is is heavily influenced that one and Final Fantasy Six somewhat influenced it. But also we're trying to do new things with that old style without necessarily going completely bonkers and making it like an action game or making it like a fighting game or, or making it something that it's not. We want the JRPGs to stay JRPGs. So, f- from what I get from that was basically, you're, you're trying to say, there's still room to explore with the 16-bit oh. format. Oh, yeah, like, you know, I, I get into these discussions with people that they talk about things like turn-based battles or, or random encounters, and they say, well, that's a relic of the past, and it should stay in the past. 
and I say, well, I think it could be utilized in a different way because we can take those things and evolve them. Um, the turn-based system, the ATB system, these things were invented and they were uh, they were very great at the time and then people came up with other things, but nobody ever evolved these things. They just eventually abandoned them or moved on to something completely different. And like one thing that you're going to see in episode three is you're going to see a completely different battle system that's never been done before, but it's going to feel familiar to people. They're going to grasp it and they're going to understand it almost right away. I, I kind of like that. It, it sort of speaks to me as a, an artist and a photographer. Um, I still shoot a lot of black and white 35 millimeter film. When I've had professors and colleagues and other artists say, why are you still shooting film? We're on digital just move on already, and I, my reply is usually, no, I don't think so. There's still a lot of things that I want to do with, with have the medium. Ever, have you ever read The Fountainhead, Brian? That's an Ayn Rand story, right? Yeah. I have never read that. However, I'm currently slogging my way through Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> oh, you should have read The Fountainhead first, but... <laughs> But no, I, I, I well, it, it had a lot to do with architecture. That's it. That's another art. It's a practical art. Video games are a practical art. Um, what's done in one medium shouldn't be done in another medium. You know, each medium should speak to itself. You shouldn't grab a digital camera and then take the same pictures that you're taking with film. It should be used for things that film can't do. Right. And likewise, film should be doing things that digital can't do. So I understand. I, I actually understand what you're saying when you say, like, because you want to stick with that and do the digital. Why completely abandon a medium just because there's something new and shiny? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I certainly understand that with video games. I mean, I, you know, you mentioned Final Fantasy. That's a great example of how, with the with the new consoles, how much more divisive that franchise has become. Mm, between yeah. between older gamers who grew up with Final Fantasy one through six, and ones who are coming into the series with the more recent games, it's may I just interject real quick? Yeah, just real quick. I just want to put this out there. It's out there. Okay, Final Fantasy seven HD remake. All I gotta say is this: if they don't keep some semblance of the ATV battle system, whether it's enhanced or whatever the case may be. They don't keep some semblance of it. I will be one pissed off Tanya Lee Batello. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and, and and we and Tanya had this discussion. Like Final Fantasy 15 has a very action based system. It's like Kingdom Hearts, and I like the idea of doing that. But if they gave that to Final Fantasy 7, it would be like giving a handgun to a toddler. It <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Mm. Steering us back a little bit, but that'll that'll happen. We go off tangent a lot. Yeah, and and just to mention also the business aspect of of what we do is really important because there is uh, what Tanya likes to call an indie golden age going on right now, and uh, there are people who want to relive the past, but not necessarily relive the past. Um, we want to give them games that are like the games they played, but without all the inherent frustrations of that time that we all just sort of dealt with because we didn't have anything better. 
Oh, that's there is obviously with all of the of the retro style games that are on Steam. There is obviously a very clear market for these types of games. You want to keep. I'm noticing that people want to have these retro style games, but also have fresh takes on them. Yeah, and they don't want to necessarily like. I mean, just taking it as an action game. Um, uh, Ducktales Remastered came out a couple of years ago, and I I enjoyed it. But one thing that they did is they were like, okay, they they went back to the old NES aesthetic of three lives game over and you got to start from the beginning and uh that could be very frustrating for modern gamers just because they're used to the convenience but at least they had saves yes because if they didn't then it really would have been just the same exact game with pretty graphics and people are not looking for a super nintendo game with better graphics they're looking for a super nintendo game with evolved gameplay yes which is which is that reminds me of like you know, on platformers like games like Battle Block Theater or even or Shovel Knight if we want to go Shovel Knight was fantastic or I mean if if Shovel Knight had you know kept that whole you know NES thing of yeah. three lives I would have broken my monitor <laughs> um, yeah we put up with that when we were kids because that's what we had yeah we we don't have to anymore yeah so. Um, still keeping with that idea of, of the visuals, and let's see if we can drag Ryan in here. Um, this is something I have personally experienced. I have tried to show friends Chronicles of a Dark Lord, but because the games, both Episode 1 and 2, have been made with RPG Maker, some of, the, some of my friends kind of act a little bit snobbish, a little bit purist, like, oh, this game is made with RPG Maker, They're, you know, I shouldn't really take this seriously, or it's not a quote-unquote real game. So how do you, you handle criticism like that, if, if you've gotten it at all? We've gotten it. Oh, Let yeah. them have that attitude and then play the game and be sort of transformed in that way. Ryan, what do you say about that? Yeah, it, just it's you very easy to go in and not take it seriously, and it's it's all about the story, though, because that's yeah. what initially brought me in. Um, Brian, a lot of what you just kind of said sounded like quotes from my friends. Like I, I, <laughs> I told people, like when I got hired, I told people, guys, I work for Kisari Studio, go check out their games, and all I heard from their like retorts were, oh, Final Fantasy reskins. I don't want to play another pixel RPG game and they didn't even give it a chance which to me kind of stung a little bit because I'm like guys support me but their choices are their choices I'm not going to force them to play the game I'm I just know they're missing out so it's kind of their loss Ryan it sounds like those particular people are not really our demographic anyway no they're not something I'm a bit curious about is so you guys are using like um, the RPG maker like Base code. Have you done any sort of modifications to like that engine? Tanya has rewritten it so many times. Oh. an RPG maker. Okay, so so like so the so the base itself is RPG maker, but you've you've tweaked it and customized it's it so heavily to, modified that to, to suit your own needs. That it, it it might as well be your own personal engine, I guess. At that point, we used to have this. We used to have this distributor, Desura, and Tanya, tell tell them what happened when. Yeah. Um. When we first got on Desura way back in the day, when Desura was wasn't owned by Bad Juju, but that's a whole different thing. Um, when we first got on Desura and we put up episode one, 
they were like, okay, you know, that that's a really cool game. You know, it looks great. It looks different than the other RPG Maker games. I'm like, awesome. We put up episode two. <laughs> they actually emailed me. And they said, because I put down the engine for RPG Maker VXAs, and they go, we don't believe you. <laughs> bullshit. We call bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. They called shenanigans on us. They really did. They're, 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 they're like, they're like, you need to, and they actually said you need to hit either custom, or you need to, or you need to select a different engine because this was not made in VX. I actually had to prove. Yeah. She had to screenshot. She, she had to screenshot the code source in, in VXA to, sh to prove that hey, this is VXA's, right? Yeah, it was. It was. She had so... to show the the actual engine with the game in it. Yeah, I had to show an editor screenshot, you know, and I'm like, there you go. And so they're like, wow, that's pretty crazy. But I think, and I'm, and I'm saying to I, I myself. Think... Can you People imagine if they saw, like, Amber Throne now? You know what I, mean? I was just about to bring that up. People are coming around to the fact that with, with parallaxing, you can pretty much do anything aesthetically, and Amber Throne looks like it's hand-painted, because it is. Yeah, it, it, you know, like, um, and I'm just going to put a little plug out there for Amber Throne real quick in the devs there. I've, I've been playing the hell out of that game. Amazing visuals, great gameplay. You guys did an amazing job, awesome job. But, um... Getting back to Kotal, though, with Episode 2, and even up, especially with the Rebirth update for Episode 1, which I'm going to get into in a minute, the visuals themselves, the, the choice I was going for, you know, I, we could have gone with any kind of visuals, really. I mean, you know, we, we have pixel artists, we have, you know, um, high-res artists, that type of thing. So we could have gone either way, um, or even a mishmash of the two. Um, but I said early on in the going with episode one, I wanted it to have its own distinct pixel flavor. Um, I wanted it to be higher res, but still maintain that pixel look. Um, I kind of wanted to go for uh, in, in like the visual style of like, a, of like a Final Fantasy IV complete collection type of thing, where it's still pixel art, but it's high res pixel art. And, um, and, of course, we took it down a darker avenue, and that's where we got our style from. Um, but, you know, like, over time, as I mentioned earlier, the Rebirth update for Episode 1, we enhanced those graphics, even for the original game, uh, with this latest update, where, you know, like, uh, to give an example, um, you know, uh, before the sprites on the overworld that you walked around with as your player character were the same in battle. Uh, they were these small, you know, not very detailed sprites. Um, and now they are more like the in-battle sprites, more like Episode 2's character sprites. They're larger, more detailed, you know. that they, 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 They're still pixel art, but they're higher reds. And um, that's what kind of what we're continuing with as we go along. And our visual style, it's going to evolve. As John says earlier, the key word is evolve. Not, we're not going to... We're not going to revolutionize, but we're going to evolve our style as time goes on. And If we're going uh, to revolutionize anything, it will be storytelling. But absolutely. I agree with that, absolutely. But, you know, in terms of visual art, I mean, even, our, even when we get into 3D, and we will be getting into 3D. Um, I just want to put that out there. We will be doing 3D games, um, and, we'll, and we'll be doing a mishmash of 2D sprites with 3D environments. That's going to happen, too. Um, but even then, even our 3D art is going to bear that, that resemblance to 
what it what what it is at its core, where it's coming from. Um, you know, you're gonna know it's a Kotal game by looking at it. Um, every game has their own distinct style, and we mentioned Amber Throne earlier because it has its own distinct visual style. Um, unfortunately, RPG Maker games that don't utilize their own style, um, they only use, they use what's called the RTP, and they have all generic tiles and generic sprites, and everything's just generic looking, and they all look the same. So, you know, I can see where that stigma comes from. And yeah, as, as John said, we have had you know, folks commenting, oh, this is an RPG maker game, you know, uh, fuck that, you know, and, and I will say to these people, okay, you know, you're entitled to that opinion, but well, let me ask you this, have you played the game yet? Give it a shot. There's a demo out there, give it a shot. If you still don't like it, okay, I can accept that. And more often than not, we'll make, we'll make a convert out of them, because... They'll play it, they'll experience the story, they'll experience how it's different, how it not just looks different, but how it plays different than these other games. And they're going to know a lot more work went into this than your typical generic RPG, you know, RPG 001 or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> RPG 001. Yeah, right? Um, it wasn't so, even RPG, it was RPG. RPG. <laughs> that was terrible. I was on, is this game on Desur? It looked like it was like uh, made by opening the engine and like slapping a ball bag on the keyboard a couple of times. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad, but, but but Brian, going back to what you said at the beginning, you mentioned Gamer Eternal Seven Seven Seven. That's a name I recognize. Uh, we we have this following these fans that are that are almost cult like, and. Uh, at first, it was like a dozen people, and now it's like, honestly, if me and Tanya were to sit and name all these people, there's probably a lot more than just like a dozen. There's probably like a hundred. The cult grows, you know? That's what we have. We have the cult following. You, you have the cult following, which is yeah. which is great, which is absolutely amazing. So, If it's our aesthetic. Good. Good. But, but just, just as one last thing, when it comes to the, the engine itself, RPG Maker for either VX for Episode 1 or VX Ace for Episode 2. We modified the living shit out of those engines. Yeah, it's barely I mean, recognizable. I mean, you know, you go into you go into any any of the code for, for especially Episode 2 and let me tell you, you're not going to know what you're looking at unless you actually know Ruby because even then you're going to be like Wow, what is this bullshit? <laughs> and you know, Tanya, haven't you had people that have have played episode one and two, and they've gotten into RPG Maker thinking they can do the same thing, and finding out that all the stuff we've done is not features in there? No, and 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 now let me put this out there too. A lot of people, uh, and, and this is and this is a great thing, not a bad thing, that um, the RPG Maker community puts out a lot of programming scripts and battle systems and all kinds of programming skips to, to do all kinds of features for your game, which is amazing. I love that. Um, and we do use quite a few of them too, which is great. Uh, but a lot of the scripts that we use together aren't supposed to go together. As a matter of fact, they clash so much that you always get an error. Now, <laughs> as John can attest to, I'll put a bunch of these scripts together that that are completely incompatible with each other and make them work. Yeah, I mean, imagine having these two <laughs> incompatible scripts that don't work and having to work around that. 
then imagine it's ten and none of them go together and then Tanya will uh, go to the mattresses so to speak and, and somehow figure it out so, so, so Tanya's uh, Dr. Frankenstein and the engines, the engines are monster <laughs> yes that's yes. a good way of putting it that's a good way it's a great way of putting it yes absolutely <laughs> yeah so there Ron you have things to look forward to as you continue your own dive into uh... oh I I I, I, I it's a slight aside like it's just like you know, have to even put this in the recording like I, I knew like I'm just made, I'm just going around there for fun with the base engine I'm not really tweaking much of anything in it I'm just looking to see A can I make the game and B can I have the story be engaging enough so that like I would want to play it that's the most important thing you gotta have a story if you don't have a story you have nothing yeah I mean like there, there's a game out there and I'm I'm not meaning to talk shit but there's a game out there that's on Steam. It's made with RPG Maker. Uh, it's called Memories of a Vagabond. It's got some really good features for gameplay. It's got it some interesting reviews, scripts. What it doesn't have is a story. No, there yeah, isn't. And I can't get into it. I've tried to play this game, and it's got good reviews. It's done really well. And I'm just like, I can't see the appeal when there's literally you're just going from place to place and doing things. For just to get to an arbitrary endpoint. Well, you know, I call Memories of a Vagabond this generation's Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, actually. I really do. Very, very light on story, or as <laughs> you say, basically no story, or, you know, very, very light on story. Mostly it's about gameplay and about. Bring and about introducing the player to RPG concepts. I think that's what they were going for. And if it wasn't what they were going for, well, that's apparently what you ended up with. Because that's what it is to me. It's like this generation's Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, where no story, but she's saying the M word. Yeah. <laughs> we have a dark history with that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you know, um, you know that, Brian. Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. So I guess the other thing I'm kind of curious about is, so, so like you mentioned previously about how these all the the Chronicles of Dark Lore, the character stuff, all originated with the AOL online like role plays. Are there things that have like particular characters that are not in the game yet, or that you want to have added? A lot are, of like, that. I'll say, are there are there limitations in terms of well, like power level to, to use a DBZ term? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I mean, like, cause I, I, I mean, I those like, those old chat rooms were like, I'm like anime edgy McCool kid five thousand. Tanya played with a group of people who didn't do that kind of thing. What you're talking about? Because I know exactly what you're talking. Okay. About. No, my, my, the group of people that our core group of people that that we always played with, which is about a good 30, 40 people. Um, across other guilds and that type of thing, their kingdoms and so forth. Um, you know, the people that we core RP'd with, they were all very, you know, like, we all agreed without even saying anything what the, I guess you could say, what the level cap was, without even there being a level, so to speak. Um, you know, like... It has, to be, it has to be about the story, not about wanting to beat everybody up. Right, exactly. So even Magus, yeah. when he was at his peak of his power, and he was so powerful and he could lay waste to things he had his his weaknesses and they exploited that and they beat him you know it's it's like it, you know we always kept that balance during rp now 
that does translate over to the games is that balance. That is something I really am really keen on when it comes to game dev is balancing. I want the game to feel balanced so that people can, if they want to over-level the crap out of their people, go ahead that, and you'll trounce through most of the stuff. But for those, but I want people to be able to go through the game with not a huge amount of grinding and just, or even no grinding at all, and just literally just be able to play through it at the normal pace it's supposed to be and experience everything, have a good healthy challenge, but not so incredibly difficult that it makes you be like, oh, Dark Souls, hi, how you doing? So, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, I, that's something that's really, 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 I can't stress this enough. That is what I'm really about is balancing in terms of game dev. I want the game to feel balanced. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to let you know, and, you know, it needs to be fixed. Um, yeah, I, I played a game recently that was completely unbalanced. And I, and I mean, like, easy, completely unbalanced. And I actually, I actually sent an email to the dev, and I said, you know, you're really going to work on this. <laughs> Excuse me, you're really going to work on this. This is, I mean, I can get through this game with my eyes closed. And they sent me an email back and they said, thank you very much. You know, I actually needed to hear that because no one else was telling me. And I found it incredible. I was like, really? Not even your own testers were telling you this? So it was, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting for me because I, I had, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to network with other devs and so forth. But like, I'm noticing that some of these devs, they're not getting the feedback from their own team that they need from outsiders. So to, speak. to be so, fair, some of them don't have teams. But this is some, a lot of them are only one man, are only one man group. So that's you know what I mean. It's, it's it's just it is what it is. But some of those that do have teams that have QA and so forth, they you know they're they're not getting that type of feedback. They, you know they they figure well you know Final Fantasy VI if that's easy and that's an and that's a masterpiece then hey you know whatever right yeah but ff6 was easy <laughs> once you understood the mechanics and how it worked it, it. so tanya where in kisarath are you hiding all of the metal slimes for people to to uh to level grind <laughs> <laughs> where's your metal slimes where's ultima where, where's the where, where's where, ultima weapon where's the metal king slimes where's they're in my back pocket. I'm waiting to bring them out. <laughs> we, we, you know what? We, we actually like to give people kind of a lot of control over that. In episode one, we have that meter that fills up as you walk. And yep. You could use that to your advantage. You could use it, honestly, I think, to your disadvantage to avoid battles because you're not going to have a, a fun time at all if you do that. I, I think the, like I the, the, the meter reminds me of basically what some it's, RPGs do. It's a temptation do. meter. It, and also, it, it kind of... It's another way of using. In, I mean, obviously, all the enemies are hidden, but it, it to me feels the same way as if you actually had all of the enemies visible. Yeah, and it, in it, episode two, they're visible. Yep, and they don't respawn. But there's little tricks you could do, like leaving the area or going into the Scion grid to spawn enemies because enemies are attracted to the Scions. And there's always ways to overlevel. I spoke with somebody on Steam that was level eighty in episode two before they even got to the final chapter. 
Well, that's what you call obliteration at that point. And some, yeah, some and, people and do. That was, and that was just that was the way this person liked to play the games. And that's fine. And you have that option, or you can be that person that... And I see it in Let's Players all the time. They see that meter, and they fall to the temptation of letting it fill up and then, like, stopping and letting it fill, you know, like, empty out. And they avoid enemies because they, they think, oh, I don't have to fight random battles. And then they get annihilated by a boss, and they realize, oh, I do. It's a way, you know, the, the point of the battle bar wasn't so people could not fight enemies. It was so... Like, let's say you just fought a boss and you're really weak and you need to get back to town. Your super powerful, you know, army of kings doesn't get, you know, toppled by an orc. <laughs> because that's a trope that happens in video games where you just destroyed a god, but then you're so weak afterwards that, you know, the next slime kills you. Um, and in episode two, you know, you can just skate past the enemies by weaving in and out of them, but... It's not smart. Yeah, you can upgrade just using the scion grid, but you have to, you know, fight bosses to get those wisdom scions. So basically, yeah. So yeah. I'm still looking forward to a, a no scion level, a no scion grid run from somebody doing like a speed run or something like that. It's gonna be fun. You know, that could be done. Not that it, it could be done. I mean, obviously, Magus is gonna be very weak, but I mean, if you use like Riggs and Josiah and Ariadne, it could be done. Mm. So there's the challenge for you, Internet. <laughs> Because there's, there's three characters that don't use the Scion grid. Tanya has thrown down the gauntlet. Yeah. Oh, and, and another thing that Tanya did in episode two, which I love, is she, she, she has these characters, especially Riggs and Josiah, these two generic soldier characters, are sort of like the, the two soldiers from Your Breath of Fire Wedge. 1. No, no, not at all. Like, that, like Breath of Fire 1 had this whole section where you played as Nina, who was a very yeah. nice character, but she had these two soldiers that came with you. They're completely temporary characters, and everybody that plays Episode 2 assumes that these guys are going to either die or they're going to go away. They don't have Scion grids. They're not important characters. And then they are with you throughout the whole game, and like one of them is like kind of important in the ending, and it's it's uh, it really does turn that on its head, and, and one of these characters is going to be pretty major in the next game. Which leads me to my last question for this half... Because we do, I do have to insert an intermission in there. Okay. Um, so there are a between the two games, there's a, a hefty amount of characters. So how are you managing to keep track of all that so that the player doesn't get lost with all of these different plot threads and backstories? Please don't tell me you guys have a Xenosaga dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> no. We don't have anything like that. No. Okay. No. Actually, I'll I'll take this real quick. Um, this is actually a very quick answer, and, and honestly, the answer is is there's a game for everything. We'll put it that way. Um, when I when I first started the series, I knew pretty much who was going to be a character and who wasn't going to be a character from the RP and whatnot, or even original new characters um, or new lands, even because you know we have. The, especially episode episode one really is a departure from the RP. It's very almost an original story. Yeah, it, yeah, very little what happened that game except for like the prologue happened in the RP. But um, but anyway, no, really, a lot of these characters, a lot of what you what you don't see behind the scenes or in or in between time periods and whatnot, you're gonna see, you're gonna experience this stuff. Where I, I, if I 
say if I if, if you see in a game one year later, there's a reason why I put one year later, because I already have an idea for a game that's going to explain that period. Or, you know, um, this like I said, there's a game for everything that we're doing. And um, to give an alternate answer, Tanya, because uh, I think what Brian is thinking is more like. Uh, some people who are like, oh, who's this character? And, you know, they were in episode one, but maybe they don't remember them. Um, you know, yeah, we've remade the episode one a bunch of times already, but there is going to be an HD version. And one feature that I want to have is like what I would call a chronicle where you would actually like almost like the bestiary be able to look at a character and get like a little bio and a little history when they join you. I love Final Fantasy tactics pretty much. Kind of like yeah, that. kind of, but but basically, um, you know, we we try to we try to. It, it's pretty centralized. Most of the characters that are in episode two were in episode one. There's a few new ones, but they're being introduced in you know, in a, I, I think a very organic way. There's nobody that shows up. It's like, oh, you know, you're my old friend from you know a million years ago, and we have this history together that we're not going to talk about. So so no Zeno Zeno style. Uh, Hey, here's a character yeah. that you see for 30 seconds and then doesn't show up for another 40 hours. So, no. <laughs> so, so, so you're so you've basically written the, the characters in, in a in the world in a various ways so that it, it it would play as like a living world and that these characters have their own various goals and whatnot. Chronicles of Flirt is very much Magus's story. John. Can I ask for like some specification on what you were just mentioning? Is it were you talking about something kind of like what they do in Kingdom Hearts, where they have like the journal with some information on the characters, so you kind of know who they are and where they're yeah, from? Yeah, kind of like that. Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. It'd be like something in the menu, and you just like like kind of like the status screen in Episode Two, where it gives you a little like tiny blurb about the character, but it might give you like more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, be more detail. But um. You know, like, Chronicles Dark Lord is very much Magus' story, and as Tanya mentioned, some of these other characters are going to get their own stories as well. Um, I mean, I'm working on a, a game for the future that's actually Anto's story, and it actually is the same exact story as Episode 1, but it's told from his perspective. You know, and then we have this other game that's uh, uh, called Shenandoah Zero Chronicle, which is about the past, and how the world, you know, started and all how it all came to be. And I spent the last few weeks writing the whole mythology of the world and feeding that to Tanya, who's just in love with it. And, you know, how, how these things that she created had an origin. There's one thing you have to remember about all these characters. They're all based on people, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Magus is pretty much Tanya. Yeah, pretty much. I said, I said, I don't kill people, okay? I, don't yeah, I, was, I was about to ask. <laughs> she thinks about it a lot, though. So, so, wait a minute. So, Tanya, you have a deep dislike of teddy bears? Okay, that was something that came from somebody who's not in the company anymore. We just keep it because it's funny. Okay, so you keep it as a running gag. Okay. It's a running gag. It's a running gag at this point. <laughs> there was a person who worked for us that thought of like how come all these old rpgs always have teddy bears sitting in the item shops and you can't interact with them in any way and he thought it would be funny if you could blow them up and then tanya came up with this backstory as to why tanya hates teddy bears and if you played nightmare vision i gave a little bit of a hint towards that with the whole part where he's uh put on trial by a bunch of teddy bears (laughs) 
was my favorite part to run, by the way. That was... That boss battle was just... <laughs> oh, oh, there's a story behind that, Brian. Yeah. Um, Hold on, we were trolling Chris. You know Chris Waglin, of oh, course. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. And Tanya likes to put things in there that are not really... She put a, a sprite for a teddy bear boss in episode one in the folder. It's not actually in the game, but she put it in the folder and he found it and assumed that there was this teddy bear boss that you can fight and drove himself insane trying to figure out how to trigger that battle. (laughs) And uh, eventually after iteration and iteration of the game and a couple of years, we had to sit him down and tell him there never was a teddy bear boss that Tanya was messing with him. He had an intervention. And then when I was doing the DLC, I thought it would be hilarious to actually put the teddy bear boss in there. And and because it was all about Magus' psyche anyway, it was all about what makes him tick. And it is related to a trauma from his past, and that's why he hates teddy bears. And I'm not going to say it exactly because it's a story that we plan on telling. But when I went to Chris Waglin and I said, by the way, Nightmare Vision has a teddy bear boss... He did not believe me. Even when I showed him no, he a didn't. screenshot, he thought I faked it. It wasn't until he actually played it that he believed it. Inventing that whole thing, I was laughing my ass off the whole time. <laughs> I got the name of that particular teddy Theodore bear. Theodore Rex Penn. Yes, I, I just, <laughs> I, I got there and I said, okay, where's Alfie? <laughs> Alfie. Al- if we're going to continue the trend of like naming things after '80s and '90s toys, <laughs> Alfie, where's Alfie. Alfie? Where's Al? Where's Alfie? Is there like uh, ideas here? A portal where you can go to like Light Bright World, or uh... <laughs> maybe we need these little enemies called Pogs. Uh, maybe. Pog. <laughs> oh, may- may- maybe. So. Well, actually, there was a boss in Breath of Fire called Pog. He was like a giant fat troll, I think. No, it was a two-headed dragon. Oh, okay. Couldn't remember. It's been a while since I played that game. Alrighty, so we but. will keep the discussion going uh, with Kisarath, obviously. We still have a whole second half to go through. So in the meantime, you guys will have some music, because that's what I usually do. You listen, we'll cut out for a few minutes, we'll talk amongst ourselves... You are listening to downloadable content talking with Kassarth Studios. We'll be back.
Welcome back to Downloadable Content. We're all still here. None of us have gone. We haven't buggered off. We're all still here, giving you... Hopefully you are entertained. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Somebody had to say it. So, <laughs> you knew that was coming. So, moving right along. So, we mentioned, we, we talked at length, really, in the first half, you know, about uh, the story of the Codal Games. Um, something else that is also really important to me, and I think that to all of us who have played JRPGs, is the music. And I'm sure most of us have been spoiled rotten by the likes of Nobu Umatsu, Yatsunori Misuda, uh, Koichi Sujiyama, if you, if you are a Dragon Quest fan. And so... How did you guys decide ultimately on the music for each game? Because there's there are definitely moments in you know, I'll use Final Fantasy, classic Final Fantasy, where the music evokes a definite mood, and there are certain scenes in the Codal first two Codal games where I definitely feel that. Well, um, you know, the the music is uh <laughs> it's one thing <laughs> at a game develop, <laughs> excuse me. Wow, one thing at a game development that I really wanted to get right, besides gameplay and story and everything else that goes with it, but is the music. Because like you, music plays a heavy role in my games. I I I need to feel something when I'm there, and music does that for me. So, you know what I was going for actually for the for for the Colder games, especially with uh, episode one was I wanted something that was that ev- that, that that could evoke a feeling of oh shit and then another one that could evoke a feeling of you know determined you know determined to see this through even though I'm angry as hell you know I really wanted to have that progressive not really goth but I guess you I guess you'd call it progressive goth metal Symphonic metal. Symphonic metal. That type of feel to it. Because I feel that really meshes well with with the codal with the codal style of gaming, you know, of of where the game's storyline is where its heart is at. Um, because, you know, as it's been said many times, Magus is not a nice man. You know, uh, he's not a Cecil. He's not a he's not a Tara Brandford. You know, he's He's a dark lord, and maybe more like Golbez than Cecil. Yeah, he's more like Golbez than Cecil. So I mean, you know, the the, the mood that has to be portrayed should should reflect that, even in the most dire moments. Now, no, uh, to, to pick out a, a, a tune real quick uh, from episode one, the anathema of life. Um, this plays when that's you, when you fight Anto. That's when you fight Anto for the final time in in that in the game, and um. It's epic. It's driving. It's aggressive. It's it, it's all these things. It, it, it's progressive metal. Um, you and, know, and we've had this feedback of like, oh, Anto's kicking my ass. I had to fight him nine times, but at least the music is awesome. Right. You know, and that's something I really wanted to get that feeling with was that as you're fighting in this epic struggle against an even more evil adversary than you are. You know, I want it to be like literally two forces of nature clashing together. Well, scorned angry cats will do that. 
<laughs> yeah. But he also wanted to sound good. Oh, yes. of course. Mm. And, 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 you know, haven't been, and as you said, Brian, haven't been raped, haven't been spoiled rotten by games like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy, classic Final Fantasy games and whatnot, where you do get that feelings evoked during Chrono certain... Cross. Chrono Cross is a huge one. Best soundtracks of all time. Oh, one of all time. All time, absolutely. I'm not finished. (laughs) But like, even you know, even in like the 16-bit era, especially in the 16-bit era, but you know, and into the 32-bit era, you could hear something. You know, like, you know, like um, when Golbez first arrives on the scene in Final Fantasy IV, when you hear Golbez clad in darkness for the first time, you go, "Shit, just got real." That's that's soon that's the first thing that goes into your mind. Holy shit, this guy is gonna fucking kill me. Or about dancing mad. A dancing mad. Epic as hell. My my personal favorite final boss theme of all time. Dancing mad is epic. It tells a story, you know, it, it and that's what you want out of your soundtrack. You don't want to just put together whatever. It took it took me Along with other, along with others, of course, but it took me about a good solid two and a half months to put together the soundtrack for episode one, um, you know. And then we brought on board our our, our composer uh, Morte um, Morte McAdamer, and he, um, you know, he did a lot of the tracks for episode two. And I, when I first heard his stuff, I went, "That's Kodal." Yeah, this guy gets it, kind of. This thing. guy gets it. This is what. This you talk is, about Marielle as well. Yeah, exactly. Th- this is what we are. You know, this is what our games mean um, in musical form, and that's what you have to portray. It's not easy. It's very hard to find. Wh- you know what kind of sound your game is supposed to have. Um, you know, I can tell you a game that got it wrong. Uh, you, you know, in terms of in terms of music actually and um at least you know at, 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 at least at least to me and uh that would be um uh celestian tales uh something north or whatever it is great game but the music is it's displaced it didn't evoke any real feelings for me it it it, it just it, it was just kind of there you know, and that just to be said about that, but like, I want, like you said, Brian, to feel something when I'm in these scenes. You know, when when I'm living through these people, I want to be able to feel something, and I wasn't feeling it uh, for that game. So you know, it is a, it's a good game, but you know, it, it was lack, <laughs> lacking in that music department. <laughs> but uh, you know. I, but definitely, you know, I mean, for Kodal, especially for Episode One, it took so it took so long to get together the right soundtrack. And with the Rebirth update, we actually added new tracks. You know, with the DLC, we added new tracks, which I think are as epic as hell. <laughs> and it's going to be uh, a DLC for Episode Two that is going to have new music as well. Or uh, one thing that I just did the other day is I remastered the Overworld music. Because we'd like that to have a slightly different feel mm-hmm. with the expansion. There were times playing both Kotal games where I, I it, it, to me, it sounded like you were trying to, you were pulling inspiration from. Now you say 
you know, symphonic metal, and the first thing I think of is Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh, love that. Yeah. I was thinking more like Within Temptation, but I'll take that. That, that works, too. That's another good example. I mean, tra- I'm, I'm, Evergrey is a good example. Hailstorm. Or just Morte's music, because that's, that's, you know, like, Morte does that kind of thing, you know? Yep. Because, well, that was just the first thing I think, which is not something I, I don't usually equate, you know, sort of that symphonic metal to a game in a JRPG style. It's just something that doesn't, you know, usually sing. I'm I'm much more familiar with music that has, you know, definitely, you know, Asian sources or, you know, in some, even or in Final Fantasy, definitely in Final Fantasy IV, definitely Celtic sources. But it works we very very well. Though. Yes, and, and, but if you think of if you think of that kind of like pro- progressive metal, because it all does fall under that yep. category, and like what is the thing that people hear when they listen to a band like uh, like a Dream Theater or, or a Rush, or they say, "Oh, it sounds like a video game." Like, uh, how many times have you heard some of those crazy solos, and you think, "Oh, that sounds like it could be like in a Castlevania or something." But it's yet, just the way it is. Yep. But yeah, Brian, you are right. You know, you don't hear that sound in games except for ours and that is one of one of the many things that do make our games unique is that we took a sound you don't normally hear in in, especially in jrpgs and we i I believe that we we not only did it but we made it work and we made it work well um you know you can because then again our games lend themselves the story the characters lend themselves to that kind of music like if we were if honestly like if we had if Kotal was instead chronicles of a light bitch or i don't know what you want to call it but, chronicles you know, of a dumb ass hoe right you know if it was chronicles of somebody else and our character was was all you know I'm happy-go-lucky, and I'm all white and airy and wee, and... Why is it got to be white? <laughs> I said light, not white. I said light. <laughs> wow. It, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do that sound for that game. Chronicles of a Cracker. Yeah, it, 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 it would. It's got alliteration. I don't know, it might be something to that. <laughs> but no, it, it definitely wouldn't work, you know, because like, every, every game has its own sound. Even... It, let Going back to influences, we, we, musically, there's an East influence in there as well, too, because East was a, uh, one of the first, if not the first, RPGs to have any kind of heavy metal in the soundtrack. And I just want to put this out there, too, that Episode 2 actually has a distinctly... It's similar, but it actually has a distinctly different sound than Episode 1 does. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, if... Well, let's I, listen to the overworld. Yeah, I mean, you're going to notice as you're going through episode two that the mood that that, he, that each track evokes is just very different than episode one's. It's still similar in terms of styling, but it definitely has a different mood. It evokes different feelings. You know, um, then like John said, the overworld just, the overworld just is, is a very, is a dichotomy actually between the overworld tracks in episode one and episode two. Very good. I'm looking forward to, to he- uh, hearing what gets cooked up for episode three. So <laughs> I- I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Ryan, feel, oh free, feel, feel free to chime in. You've been kind of quiet over there. So, yeah. Ryan! Ryan! Hi. <laughs> I see dead people. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I am dead people. 
Are there any other sources that you guys have drawn upon, like, like, like not that's not like a video game related thing? Like, is there oh, anything yeah. from like modern media or classic literature? Oh, uh, Ghost, gotta, Ghostbusters. I gotta, step, <laughs> I gotta step in here, actually. Tanya, Tanya's influences is mainly video games, um, and then I'm the one that I put in these influences from other games. I mentioned how Nightmare Vision was based on you know, The Wall by Pink Floyd because it was a, a story about a guy being lost in his own head. Um, and I'll come up with these things and Tanya will be like, where do you come up with this crap? And I'll be like, oh, that's like kind of an influence from like Harry Potter or whatever. And and then she'll see it, you know. Um, I'm, I'm particularly influenced by other media other than video games, which I think is important because I don't think that game should self-cannibalize until the point where it becomes a parody of itself. Oh no, definitely not. But I'm very influ- I'm very influenced by music and movies and literature um, and video games too, but I like to turn it all on its head. And actually, I'm really uh, in addition to gaming, you know, I, I, there are other influences for me of course too, but like the primary influences I've got besides obviously video games, which is my primary influence. Tiny's influenced by real life too. Is is actually is real yeah. life. Um, you know, I I'll draw a lot of inspiration from what I see going on around me or what's going on in my own life, or what and, has happened in the past. Or what has and, happened, yeah. you know, and I'll draw from that, and you know, it'll become something within a game. You know, whether it's even a a small little detail. It'll, it, you know, a lot of me, as I, I've told this plenty, plenty of times to the team, but a lot of me is in these games. You know, not just you, but Carissa and, and, and everybody. Carissa. Yeah. I mean, like when I'm writing uh, The Offspring, which is the expansion to episode two, and I'm writing the character of Ziria Lee, and I, I say, like, how do I write what Ziri is going to say? And I think, what would Carissa say? Because Carissa, as John says, Carissa and Ziri, the lines between the two blur with every day. Yeah, they become increasingly blurred. <laughs> but no, it, it, it's just, it, it's, you know, like a lot of the... It scares the crap out of some of our fans, by the way. Oh, God, yeah. I, I had this one guy that said to me, um, she, she thought, uh, he thought that uh, um, Ziri was based on Tanya, and I said, no, Ziri is Carissa. And, uh, and she says, remind me never to fuck with Carissa. Yeah. <laughs> even, even, even adding to that, like, I haven't had much time in Kithera to add an influence, but I know that when I do, a lot of me comes from an anime watching background and just cartoons in general. So I know that's where I draw a lot of, like, what I'll be bringing to the table. Okay, and then I guess to kind of go along with that, like, what, like... You guys have mentioned like how you use like tropes to, like, ex- like you acknowledge various tropes and tweak them and make fun of them and stuff like that. Is there a particular one or like a particular scene that you guys like, similar to like the teddy bear stuff? Like, is there something that you guys are particularly proud of that you did? It, like, it, like one moment or one scene in either Chronicles One or Chronicles Two. I'll let you guys into that first. You, go ahead, both of you guys, John and Ryan. Um, other than the teddy bear scene, huh? Um, well, I, I think a lot of it is going to come out in my next game. It's just Shenandoah Zero Chronicle. Um, so I, I think that some of the scenes that I have in my head uh, are are pulled from 
these tropes. Um, I don't want to really get into it too much because I don't want to spoil anything. But, um, you know, actually, I can tell you one thing is in, in episode two is the whole idea of having the chapter system, which was something that Tanya kind of came up with without realizing that she came up with it. When we were working on the game, she had these titles in the project file for chapters. You know, like the Empress and the Messenger and Onto the Breach and all this crap. And uh, she never intended for the game to have this, like, real split where, you know, it would have the names pop up on the screen and everything. And I w- took it upon myself to make the graphics cards because I thought, it, well, let's do, like, a Dragon Quest Four type of thing with the chapters. That was the first this. thing I thought of when I, when I you know, got yeah. my hands on, you know, the first, you know, build or so that I was able to go through. I'm like... Somebody's been playing Dragon Quest Four. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, like, Tanya comes up with these, like, these things that are almost ideas, and then I'll expand on them and kind of kick it back to her, and then, you know, and, and basically, uh, that that's how we work so well together, is that I like to explain the things that she does, you know, like, she'll do something, and then I'll say, well, this is why it happens, and then she'll expand on that, and with the chapters, it was like she wasn't planning on having the game be like that. That was just her way of organizing the files. But then when I uh, made those graphic cards that pop up when the chapters start, she's like, the whole game changed at that point. And yeah, it was kind of like Dragon Quest in the sense that, you know, like it's all building up towards, you know, like the last one, which is the bulk of the game. But we were also expanding on it because... Um, all of these other things it, it was all about the war of the abyss and showing you what's happening in the rest of the world yes it's Magus's story but this is a story that's bigger than him and it's not often in a game that you uh, leave the main character behind for so long no no, no. I mean uh, now what do you think Ryan uh, what scene stands out to you as being like either pulled from a trope or turning a trope on its head or something like that um, in Chronicles of the Dark Lord 1, because that's the only game I've played so far, um, one of, I, I think, like we talked about, the battle bar earlier was probably one of the most, um, like, unique aspects of this game, other than the story itself, like, as far as, like, playing the game, something that stood out was the battle bar, and, as I think I mentioned in the chat, like, it creates such an interactivity and a temptation to not do battles, and... The temptation yeah. Oh, I know. Tanya, the, the, the naval battles in Episode 2 were a big I was actually going to mention that. That yeah. was something that could have been done, would have been done in a cutscene, and Tanya's like, why not get to actually play that part? Yeah, that that was something that came across very organically, actually. That was, um, you know, l- l- like like John said, you know, when this cutscene, I'm right, I might... I think like what you were going for. I'm very proud of the cutscene, actually. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tanya, but were you initially going to go for like a Breath of Fire 1 sort of naval battle and then you were like, nah, screw it? Yeah, I I was actually going to go for that. And, you know, and and to answer your question, Ron, yeah, I I am very proud of this whole whole sequence in episode 2 where I could have gone with, like John said, like a Breath of Fire 1 type of naval battle cutscene type thing. But instead... I said, fuck it. Let's give more to the player. Let's, how do I do this where I can actually make battle, naval battles in the game while maintaining the battle system the way it is? 
something that has never been seen before, I don't think, in any other GR. I, I, and I it's always a cutscene. It was never a gameplay aspect like that. Yeah, I, I think Episode 2 is the only GRPG that has naval battles like that. If I, if I, I, may, I think I might be right. And I, I, I can't think of another. Yeah. Now I need to play this. I need to play Chronicle of the Dark Lord 2. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, but I need to beat one first, and I haven't beaten one yet. But, but it, um, I'll, I'll be beat one if you need it. Oh, but, no, um, I just haven't had the time. But, um, yeah, I'm so proud of, of, of that whole sequence, uh, Ron, because I could have just, like John said, I could have just went, nah, we'll just do a cutscene and that'll be the end of it. Oh, I know another one. I just but thought I of another one, Tanya. What's that? There's the scene in episode one where you play as Anto and Zexer. I, I actually, and that lent itself to a chapter in episode two. And, yeah, where, I remember we, ha- we, we had this conference. This is before you were around, Brian. We had this conference where we were talking about it. So many of the fans thought it was so cool that for this one part of the game, you played as the bad guys. And uh, Tanya said, I think we're the first game to do that where you just play as the villain. I was like, well, you know, Black Ops 2 kind of did it. And, uh, it's uh, and then the Fire Tanya, 3. Tanya, Tanya took that as a challenge, I think. And that's why in episode two, there's an entire chapter where you're playing as the abyssal side. Well, you know, uh, what do indies do? We innovate. You know, and, and and even if it's the subtle details, we do. We innovate, and I, I and I want to innovate. You know, I, I want to evolve. I want to innovate, and we I, and and the reception from that that one scene in episode one where you play as Anto and Zexor, you know, that was tremendous. I was like, okay, I, we're on to something there. You know, we, we got to expand on that. So next game, obviously, we did a whole chapter, and. We're going to expand on it more. I'm not going to say exactly what, but we're going to expand on that more as time goes on. You know, where... Well, we, we already have, have that planned because we, now we have a whole game that we're going to be doing where you're Anto. Oh, yeah, well, that, that's a whole game. I mean... Like, that, was, that was actually planned for quite a while. Yeah, that's been planned for quite a while. I mean, like, the actual main entries in the series. Yeah. You're going to see it more and more as, as it goes along. In different ways, too. Um, you know, like, I have an idea for episode three already that... That I'm gonna keep close to the chest right now, but it's something that I think, I think, I think it's gonna kind of blow everybody's mind when they actually play it. Oh, I, I think you're talking about the whole Obsidian Rose thing, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give away anything either, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Pl- pl- please don't. I actually want to be quite surprised when I actually do get my my little hands on the on the eventual build. But uh, it just, I can certainly, just as an aside, I can totally see. When the game where you're playing as Anto, I can totally see him having some sort of like Kefka-esque lines. <laughs> <laughs> there is sand on my boots. Anyway, um, oh, there, there's actually a, a part because I have written a little bit of it where he's talking to Exodus, and <laughs> Exodus is this guy who just kind of likes to go on and on about how great he is, and um, there's a part where Anto just says, "I don't care." <laughs> You sound like Exodus, chapters from a self-help manual. Because yeah, he starts going on about his motivations, and Anto's like, "Stop! I don't, I don't save your breath. I don't give a damn." Yeah, John, bless you. I hate antagonists who spend five hours pontificating. Oh well, that's Exodus in a nutshell. <laughs> in you know, I'm surprised. 
I'm surprised more RPGs don't do that. You know, they're just expounding why they're going to control everything. Where you know, I'm just waiting for somebody to just go you know, with a bullet and just like boom, uh, there, problem you know solved. What it was it, it wasn't. That, there was a movie that ended like that called Wizards, by the way, where these two wizards were supposed to fight at the end, and one just pulls out a gun and shoots the other. Yeah. <laughs> But um, th- it wasn't really so much as a commentary. It was really just that's Anto's personality. He's he's completely nihilistic. He doesn't care about other people, even his allies. Or he doesn't even think he has allies. He he has pawns, and he you know a king doesn't care about the pawns' life. And you know, uh, John's mentioned this frequently in in the past uh, to the team and to other people, and I've said it too. But you know, Anto. In episode two, especially, you know, since he's you know the, the main the, you know the main antagonist in that game, you know, he is he doesn't just you know do a couple things and then nothing like in a lot of JRPGs that you see for villains, he's reactionary. You know, it, you you know the, the the party will defeat a boss, he'll blow up a kingdom. You know, you, you know they'll you know they'll 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 fight to a standstill in a battlefield. He'll he'll throw a tidal wave at you. And that's you know? not a that's not at all a JRPG. JRPGs always had this thing where the the the, the big boss would just kind of sit in his castle and wait for you to show up and kill like, him. They just fester, you know. And, you know? Uh, and like, the, I know what the influence was, and and it's not a game that Tanya likes, but I know she likes the villain is Final Fantasy Two. Um, the oh, emperor yeah. in that game. I mean, yeah. every time you did something, he'd destroy another town. Yeah, there was. And there was also Black Blackthorn from Ultima Five was a little bit like that. Yeah, but, but I wasn't thinking so much at that one. But yeah. No, but but Anto, Anto is really interesting because he's he's so full of rage. He he really is just a just a angry little fuck, and. <laughs> It, it's, it, and we're going to get into his backstory more, but basically he's just this broken person who has almost nothing going for him. So that's his reaction, is just wipe everything out so there's nothing. He wants to be the king of nothing. That, you know, I, I am, I'm really looking forward to, to that backstory. Maybe I should say he wants to be the emperor of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? Brunch. Um, well, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to that, because I, I might draw comparisons to him, to my own cat. So, uh... <laughs> to my own cat. What's funny is, in the in the original RP, I think he literally was a cat. Yeah, in the original RP, he was this little black cat. Ah, well, oh, yeah. He's actually, he, he's actually what's known as a showral in, in, the, in the game. The black cats are like like the random trigun kitty that appears in every episode. One of those. Uh, <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. Yeah. I know that was good. Yeah. I so, know. um, so moving right along, then, um, shifting more towards uh, future plans for Kisarath. Um, so now that uh, the two games are finally on Steam, I know that was a massive goal for the company and finally you got there you have no idea it was and and i know that steam greenlight process initially was such a mess they didn't know what they were doing and the developers didn't know what they were doing and the people voting didn't know what they were doing 
but now that you're on that platform, what has uh, the reception been like? You know, n- not just on Steam, but also on the other places where you've sold these games, uh, Desera, before it went bye-bye. It well, does vary from place to place. <laughs> the Steam community can be a little rough, but we went in expecting that. We knew that the Steam community is full of the PC master race, and that some people are like, if it is an HD widescreen, you know... Um, 1080p maxed out my two... Yeah, then it's... Crap, you know? we, we do get a little bit of that. We do get a little bit of the, this is RPG Maker, therefore it can't be good sort of attitude. But, like I said, those people, not necessarily inner demographic. I respect the opinion to a certain extent, but I don't agree with it. And I think that um, the sales have been good. That's what's important, really. I mean, the reception on Steam has been mixed, and Desura, it's been excellent. Then there's other sites that specialize in RPGs where the, they're, they're touting us as, like, the greatest thing since Betty White. So, <laughs> <laughs> Betty White. That's good. That's the gun. <laughs> well, you know, I read this thing that said that Betty White is actually older than sliced bread. Yes, that's... Uh, I thought when they invented sliced bread, did they say it was the best thing since Betty White? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it, like John said, no, it's, uh, it, it really depends upon where you go. I mean, um, I, I will say that on Steam, um, I was very... Uh, I, I should say I was very determined to make sure that every single customer... Or every person, or every every would be customer, or even just potentials. Every post that was made on our Steam forums got answered. That was something I really, really was, and we, to this day we still make sure that every single person gets answered um, by us. You know, we we wanted to be, we wanted to engage. We wanted the middle finger is an answer, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, in some cases. I wanted to... <laughs> no is an answer, right? Do you have a stock folder of middle fingers and no signs and fuck-offs for people to, <laughs> to read through? Hey, get out of my hard drive. Yeah, right. my, my personal favorite, and I use this on Tumblr a lot, is the uh, an image of, uh, you missed the point. You missed the point. And, and, yeah, there's a point, and there's an arrow representing you, and you're far away from it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my friend Andrew likes to use an image of an airplane going overhead. I was just gonna say that. Too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it. I mean, like, I was unprepared at first for the flood of comments that came in and uh, questions about the game, and they all got answered. And uh, that really helped us. It really did. It showed that you know we're we're a dev that listens to our fans, and the things that 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 in reviews and so forth that were critiquing the game. We fixed as much as we could for the rebirth update, so you know that also shows that we go back to our our earlier games and we're still tweaking them. You know, we're we're still supporting them. We're not going to just stop. You know, all support for a game and that's it. I, I can name a few developers that do that. You know, I, I don't know who I don't know who there might be Square Enix, but like. You know. like any any major developer in the past like <laughs> ten years. Yeah, yay. Yeah, but <laughs> but like <laughs> it's true. It's that you know we're we're always twenty years from now. We're going to be supporting episode one HD. You know, it's just how it is. You know, I mean, obviously by then it's going to be you know we're going to be doing other things and whatnot, but. We're always going to support our games, you know. 
by then it'll be episode one ten k. Well, there is. Well, I, I hope it doesn't get to. The, you know, I was reading this thing about uh, high resolutions, and apparently after a four k, the human eye can't see the difference. Yeah, that's, that's what they're saying for two k or four k or something like that. It might be four yeah, k. Once you go beyond 4K, 4K is pretty much like a reality resolution. Yeah, at that point, at that point, it'll be on episode one holodeck. Well, isn't isn't 60 FPS also supposed to be real reality? Yeah, 60 FPS. That's about what our brains process. That's that's what our brains process. Yeah, people still feel the need to go higher. Yeah, like 120 FPS, which really, honestly, like. Like, that'll give you a headache real fast. Yeah, yeah. FPS. I, I've seen games that do that, and on systems that do that. And let me tell you, there's no point. Yeah. There's no point to it. I think you I know? played a game at like 120 FPS, and I didn't notice a difference. Oh, and um, for the PC Master Race out there, all of our games run at 60 FPS. <laughs> just twist the knife a little more, Tanya. Just, <laughs> just dig it a little deeper there. No, I'm. It's. That's fine. I, I've, I'm relatively new to the land of PC gaming myself. For 25 years, I was straight console. You weren't getting me near a PC at all. Now my Steam library is ever-growing. So here's, here's, here's a question for you. Um, are you planning to eventually make an appearance at PAX East? Yes, and I actually want to get into this. Um and, uh, oh, apparently uh, one of my guys has to get going, so... Oh, all right. Well, thank you for being on, Ryan. Thank you for having me. See Ryan, you guys have later. a great yeah. night. See you. Have a good you night. Will. You as well. Um, but, no, we will be at PAX East. Um, you know, it, it's just a question of, uh, really, it's a question of timing and not so much money anymore, but it's a question of timing. Because um, the money, you know, you know, like... Before it was going to be like ten grand to get a booth at PAX East, um, but now we've we, we've made some inroads. We've done some networking, and we brought that that price down significantly going by going through other people. Um, so it, I I very pretty much ninety percent sure we're going to be at next year's PAX East because um, the money will be there, no problem. But it's the timing, really, um, because. While I want to absolutely be there and have a booth and showcase our games to everybody, obviously, I, who doesn't want to do that? Um, if I'm in the middle of working on, you know, or if I'm in the middle of a release schedule, you know, I mean, if something's to be released like that week, then I won't be able to be there. I mean, I might send other people, but I won't be able to be there. So, like, it really does depend upon timing. Um, we really are scattered all over the place, too. Yes, I mean, you know, if I and if I can't be there with a couple of, of other team members who live, you know, around, you know, Massachusetts, whatnot, then no, we may not be there because it all depends upon, again, timing, uh, you know, because our release schedule, we have quite a few games being released between now and the end of 2016. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly hope you make it to the PAX East Indie booth because as I have mentioned when we do our, our PAX recaps year after year, the indie floor is getting bigger. With each progressive convention, 
the space that they have devoted to indie games gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's such a wonderful sight to see how much indie developing... Indie, devel- indie gaming has, has taken up enough space on the expo floor to compete with the big guys. And even some of the, the, the bigger indie studios like Supergiant Games and The Behemoth, I mean, they take up good huge chunks of the floor, and, you know, they're, they're cozying right up to Nintendo or Capcom or, you know, Microsoft. And it's, it's really, really great to see. So I, I am, I'm really, really hoping uh, to, to see you there. I mean, I'm not that far away. I'm in Albany. That's a three-hour drive. So Yeah, no, that's not far. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I absolutely want to be there. And, you know, uh, <laughs> as long as the timing is right um, and the money, I'm sure, will be there, then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be there. I mean, I'll probably be bringing probably myself and our QA guy, um, you know, our director of QA, uh, Chris Wagon, he'll probably be there with me, along with, um, along with, uh, probably Brandon and probably uh, Ryan, who was just here, because uh, they, they live not less than five minutes away from me. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll be bringing them with me. So, I mean, we'll probably have a good four to six, you know, four, maybe, four, maybe seven people there um, for the booth. So it should be good. Uh, it's, it, I think it should be exciting. Well, good. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. That'd be great. Be like, hey, I can finally meet you in the flesh. <laughs> yes, and I. And, That's not creepy at all. And, and they, they will, be <laughs> hugs. They will be hugs to be had. It will happen. So, um, I am just about out of questions, actually. So, Ron, do you have anything left? Um, I'm. You guys don't have the answers if you don't want to. But do you guys? eventually want to I don't know if you even have one right now like a Kickstarter or a Patreon of some kind so that you like you can get more like interaction with the fans outside of your forums and we've, we've tried that in the past it crashed and burned we might try it in the future for titles that have a higher budget now that we have somewhat of a name for ourselves okay but um, the problem with that is that while well, Kickstarter and, and Indiegogo and those sorts of websites started off as great ways for indie developers to gain revenue, it has become so cluttered and so full that you pretty much have to already be really well known to get anything. And that's why you're seeing these huge projects from people like Keiji Inafune and, and uh, Koji Igarashi and, and the creators of Banjo-Kazooie are on there. And they're getting all the money and the indie people who you know, haven't worked in the industry or not really getting it. Okay. Because I, I, I knew like that, I knew that like, that was a potential growth for indie indie people, but like that was my fears that now that it's becoming more mainstream for like the the developers that are, don't have a job that it's kind of pushing out the indie scene. Yeah, well, which uh, is what it was created for. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really becoming that main you know that mainstream thing. I mean, look at look at look at the look at Shenmue. They, you know, Sony put Shenmue on Kickstarter just to gauge customer reaction, not even for funding it, just to gauge customer reaction to it. So, yeah, I mean, they, like they could have, they could have gone on any forum on the internet and done that. You know. Yeah, yeah they could have put a poll and say, "Hey, do you guys want to see us make Shenmue three? 
and there would have been a positive like, thing, but they wouldn't have gotten. I understand why they, I understand why they did it that way, though, because there are people who say they want something, and then when it comes out, they don't necessarily buy it. I yeah, think whereas that, Sony now has three million dollars for them to play around. Essentially, with. all that was not for funding; it was pre-orders. Let's face it; that's yeah, that, that was a pre-order. They want people to put their money where their mouth is, and I understand that. I because development costs have uh, over the past twenty-five years, development costs have gone up tenfold at least, while the price of a game is not. So I understand that. And 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 I and and you know that. And again, you know, I mean, I'm not saying we won't ever put anything out on Kickstarter or on Indiegogo or Patreon or anything like that. It's just you know we're we have certain budgets that we work with and you know for each project that we're working on or even you know i mean like honestly like and i this is some this is some business advice actually for any aspiring game devs ron you too um if you're going to create a project and you know you're going to need a team if you can't do it by yourself and uh i'm not saying that you, you you automatically need a team some people don't and more power to them because that's that's amazing but if you know you're going to need a team then the first thing you got to ask these people is you or even tell them you're not going to get paid right away <laughs> you know you're not going to get paid right away are you okay with that until the game starts making money and that's really what it boils down to because you I've met quite a few people in the industry who are in it for the passion of gaming and they know that and they understand it and they're awesome with it. But then I met other people who are in it for the money. And if you're in it for the money... You're in the wrong industry. You're in the wrong industry, honestly. You really are. You're in the wrong it's industry. Like, it's like... I, I, I agree with that. It's like, I don't get why people, like business executives, want to get into the... like They want they see money when they get into the look at video games. They don't see any of the hard work or the passion that goes into it, and it's just like you guys. You guys are what's wrong with the uh, the business world right now. Yeah, so. well, I mean, look at some of the business business decisions. Decisions, yeah, decisions lately from come from. Oh, oh, here we go. Perfect example. Konami. Need I say more? <laughs> yeah. You know, Konami. Uh, even you know Square Enix. I mean, Capcom. Uh, you, you know, I mean uh, Square Enix. Silicon Knights. <laughs> Sil- Silicon well, Knights. <laughs> but like you know, uh, uh, but Konami, they pretty much wrote themselves out of the uh, uh, out of the gaming scene, and they're making a Castlevania and a Silent Hill pachinko game, and I'm like, well, wait, I, I just want to interject there about the pachinko. They've actually been making those for a really long time. Pachinko's yeah, but- not a big. What's especially egregious about the Castlevania Pachinko game is that it is an erotic Castlevania (laughs) Pachinko game. I just want to point that I have no problem with them making these Pachinko games. Sega does this. I mean, every Japanese game developer has a Pachinko game. Yeah, that's that's very popular over there. But the fact that they're making Castlevania into a porno slot machine, fuck them. To be fair, Castle... the only the only thing I can I can say to that is oh Japan. To be fair, most <laughs> of the Japanese companies are pretty risque with their uh, um, 
talking about a country that sell, that that have used panty vending machines. Well, those so, are those are illegal over there, Brian. Oh, oh, are they illegal now? I thought they that are, was, they've yeah. been illegal since like 2005. Okay, yeah. I believe the only I believe Japan made so the only thing you can sell are like consumables <laughs> and like cell phones and some other electronic devices. They do have beer vending machines over there. Because sure, why not? But I, I mean, like draft I, beer. Like but actually, I want to kind of get into uh, our future projects real quick, just like kind of a brief statement on them. So I will. So I'm just going to kind of go. I'm just going to have John kind of interject here, and I'm just going to say the first, the first we have coming out very soon, uh, which is due out in probably about a month. Is uh, after because we're still in the midst of uh, of finishing up production and doing testing and whatnot. It's called Rhapsody Clash. Chronicles, Chronicles of, Dark of Dark Lord Rhapsody Clash. And uh, that's gonna and, and and that and that is a rhythm based combat dueling type game. Uh, we will have a more d- definitive, distinct naming convention for it in a, in a little bit. But um, basically, uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be our first rhythm type game, um, and uh, hopefully the start of of its own of its own of its own IP. Actually, that, that that'd be amazing. Um, we'll see, you know, how how it how it gets received. Um, I do have high hopes for that game. Um, it features uh, you know uh, brand new art from Brandy. Uh, for most of the game is brand- quite a lot of it too. Yeah, is Brandy's art, and it's also uh, Carissa's art as well as being featured in that game. Uh, so that's our first stab at, at art in, in, uh, for one of our projects. So, you know, it's going to be really awesome. I'm looking forward to releasing that. It's going to hit more of our casual audience, which I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how they view it. And maybe they'll get them to play our other games, too. Um, so we have that coming out in about a month. And then, uh, you know, we also have... as. John said uh, earlier is um, you know uh, Shenandoah Zero Chronicle, which is our 8-bit RPG. Um, harkens back to the classic era. Uh, I should say 8-bit. I should, like, I should be more like as a mix of 8 and 16-bit. So 12-bit. So 12-bit. Yeah, <laughs> I can say 12-bit. It's an 8-bit game. I don't know. Where <laughs> I was like, saying, you talking like Genesis? Are you talking like Genesis <laughs> graphics? Not quite. Turbo not quite 16. Not quite 8. I was thinking more Turbo Graphics, but after <laughs> the Turbo Graphics was at 16 bits. It was, I know. Um, more like a Game, Game Boy, Boy Color. Color. Yeah, Game Boy Color. Okay. But, but, but it's gonna have Neo Geo Pocket Color, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's gonna have its own, its its own, its own graphical style. It's gonna be a mix of of that type of graphical. We scene. also have the expansion for Episode Two coming out, which will add an eighth chapter to the game. Yep, that's the Offspring DLC, which we actually announced on our Facebook. Um, the uh, the expansion is, is going to be huge. It's going to be a lot of gameplay. I mean, we're looking... This is no simple DLC here, folks. It's, we're, we're, it, it's going to be several hours. We're talking a lot of content for this. So, and Not, uh, as, not as long as Chapter 7, but considerably longer than the first six chapters. Yes! Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so we have that coming. So we have so we have the DLC for episode two, the offspring. We have Zero Chronicle, uh, which is a prequel to episode one, and I mean a distant prequel to episode one. That's the origin of the world and everything. It is the origin story. Yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, now, as for other projects, I, I can obviously episode three is in my mind. Um, it's in John's mind. We're already starting a little bit of 
you know, uh, getting together, conceptual, uh, conceptualize it and so forth. So episode three, you know, we are starting to piece it together. Um, so that's coming together. But, uh, but honestly, like, uh, before we even talk about episode three or anything like that, then I, I do want to mention, um, uh, something that I have, we have not announced, uh, which is exclusive to the DLC podcast. Hey, I'm getting an exclusive. This is nice. Exclusive. Um, very nice. <laughs> this is very nice. So, <laughs> so, and that's Tactics of a Dark Lord Origins. So... What is Tactics of a Dark Lord? It is our new tactical RPG IP. It is going... The first game, uh, and there will be subsequent games, because this is obviously the origins for it. Um, This game basically takes place in between the period of after the prologue in Episode 1, after you beat Exodus and you exile him to Cenefaria, between then and between the time when you first take control of Magus as an adult. You are going to experience that story in between. So, hello. So, <laughs> Hi, Facebook. Right. So all of the, all of that content you see uh, during what I call the, the fire sequence where you, you see all that text that says what happens, well, you're going to experience it. That means, we have, that means we have to deal with puberty. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> that means well, we have to deal with whiny, angsty prick. Well, well, he was already 18 in the beginning of the that, game. Yes, that is true. But You get to deal with Squall. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all of, all of his dialogue is just going to be shrugs. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. Now, I'm not going to give away too much here, but I will say this. Yeah, please don't. The... You are not playing as Magus. You are not the father. So, that's all I'm going to say about that. You are not playing as Magus. Interesting. So, it, it, it should be interesting. I'm looking for. Obviously, I have a huge, huge love for tactical RPGs. Final Fantasy Tactics is one of the greatest games of all time, especially the PSP version. One of the greatest games of all time. I love tactical RPGs. Give me Shining Force. New Shining Force Sega. Come on, let's get on the thing here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's going to be interesting. That's Sega, Tanya. So you got a so you got a tactical RPG. You got Parappa the Rapper, the RPG. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Chronicles Three in in, in the in the conceptual got, phase. Got the prequel. Yeah. So you guys are getting very 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 deep do you think you might be kind of overreaching a bit actually the, the team has grown quite a lot yeah we, have, we, have quite we do a few compartmentalize um, all right so you, so you got a support structure in place then oh yeah no I, I, I'm, I'm not going to give an exact amount here but we do have over 20 people on the team all righty <laughs> so uh, we're able to compartmentalize as John said, and, and assign certain roles for certain projects. Now, I will mention one. Uh, John did mention Anto Calius, a, a game about him earlier, which we haven't really talked about. But since he already mentioned it, I'm going to mention one more, actually, um, which is not an RPG at all. Um, actually, it's it's something very, very different. Um, we're looking at a horror a, per- a first-person horror game. And the game is called, and now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> the game is called Black Wax. 
and basically to give you an, an idea as to what it's going to be like um, your protagonist or you should say the person that you are playing as um, is possessed by a demon and it's very, and it, through choices and I, and I don't just mean like choices like on screen I mean literally everything you do within the environment has a consequence whether it's just picking up the phone going into your refrigerator whatever the choice may be it has a consequence and your object of the object of the game obviously is to exercise yourself as easier said than done because like I said everything is choice based everything has a consequence and it's obviously going to be a horror game first person all 3d because there's no way we can tell the story in 2d so it's going to be our one of our first all 3d games where it's going to feature HD graphics you name it we're going to have it it's going to be very high production and just so uh, people know, this is all based off of a nightmare that Tanya had. Yeah, this is a nightmare I had. Um, this is, an, and I jotted down. I, I immediately jotted down all the notes from my nightmare, and it turned into this. And um, I do promise everybody this within the sound of my voice: once you play this game, you will have nightmares. That almost sounds like a challenge because I do love me survival horror. You will have it's, a nightmare. It, don't think of it as survival horror. Don't think of it like that is all. No, actually, this, this is going to be genre. This is actually going to be genre bending because because okay. this, this isn't a survival horror, but it also incorporates that too. So it's, think of it more like D on the Saturn, just mm. you know, good. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I mean, obviously, all of these are you know, some of these are are way down the pipeline. So. Oh, I don't see black wax within the next. Yeah, I mean these are these are all ideas. I know that. I mean, obviously, I know, you know Rhapsody Clash is, is coming. So. Yeah, that's coming very soon. It should be out um, on Steam fairly soon uh, once once we're ready to release it. Um, it'll be out also on other distributors like like uh, Itch.io, Green Man Gaming, Gamers Gate, so forth. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, Ron, do you have any anything else or? Uh, nah, that was it. That That's it? about it. Okay, so... <sighs> so if any of you out there on the wide world of the internet have any questions, comments, feedback for this episode or any other episode of Downloadable Content, once again, you can get a hold of us, facebook.com slash dlcontent, twitter at dlcontent, on tumblr, dlcpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also email us, dlcpodcast. No, I got my, my plugs mixed up. Email is dlcontent1 at gmail.com. See, I need to get my own site for this damn thing. <laughs> yes, but did. I don't know. I, the one thing I don't have in my tech-savvy repertoire is how to actually make a damn website. Maybe I, maybe I should get... Nobody, nobody makes websites anymore. I used to do it back in the day, like HTML and all that crap, but everybody just used generators now. Yeah, everyone uses a generator now, so yes. DLcontent1 at gmail.com is the email. So, there you go. That's all the different ways you can get in a hold of us. Every episode is on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. So, Tanya, John, and Ryan, thank you very much for honoring our our fans request here to do an episode talking about Kassarth. It was actually, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Brian. I had a lot of fun. So, Ron, have you been enlightened as well? It's a little interesting to see the uh, ins and outs and of an indie studio. 
So it's a little... I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me come on. Oh, yes. Well, you live here. It was just basically... Uh... <laughs> Kick the door open and say, yeah. hey, f- five minutes. Yeah. Chop, chop. Yeah, you, you, you practically live here. I mean... <laughs> oh, I just want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Eternal Gamer 777 Thank you for, for, your, for your fan request. That was awesome, and I hope you answered your questions. So. With that said, all that remains for me is to say have a good one, everybody. 